Hi there, people. Welcome back to the Nicholas Comics Q&A. That was Los Bichos with Good to Go. Pretty spicy jam, if I do say so myself. I always like uh, bringing novel and interesting acts um, as the opening and closing song here on the Nicholas Comics Q&A. That's no exception. I mean, Los Bichos just have that Latin jazz rock vibe going on that I think is... is unparalleled in today's musical landscape that said ladies and germs uh, it was a pretty exciting week we got yet another installment in my fun 10 crazy facts series you can go and check that out right now um, my dune review is out and of course still working on the divine tapestry currently currently i'm 23 pages in so slow and steady but you know what they say slow and steady wins the race oh yeah a third album, that's right. 2021, I'm putting out like three albums. Uh, my, my discography is going to rival Pink Floyd's pretty soon. But with uh, just how just how on these tracks I am. And uh, Epileptic Collectible is the name of the album. It's a, it's a real solid bangers. And there's some really cool songs on there. I like uh, The Pinecone Doesn't Forget. That one's a, a jam. And uh, you got Summer in the Desert, you got you got uh, Escape from Chicken Prison. A lot of guitar on this, a lot more than on uh, Bowling Green Miscreants. So if you're more into like acoustic blues and, and kind of a country sound, kind of a country rock sound, then I think uh, in that case, Epileptic Collectible is going to be for you. But if you like more uh, party, party jams and more electronic, then uh, BGM's for you. And if you like uh, a lot more experimentation, then Rules for Thee is for you. But all in all, it's kind of a toss-up as to which album that came out this year is uh, kind of the best. You know, they all appeal to different sensibilities, so I would say that's the case. Also, of course, uh, still waiting to hear back from Nick Cage. Don't th I don't know if I... Oh, yeah, and uh, my uh, Insomnia review's out, so... Lots of cool videos coming out this month. They still have quite a few this month. And on December 31st, More on Medicine. Last episode of More on Medicine. For those of you who have been following the More on Medicine story so far, um, believe me, the finale of More on Medicine is going to leave you speechless. It's going to totally one-up every previous episode and bring it all into a coherent and uh, interesting story. So check that out once that comes out. That said, I'm going to be giving away a free comic, as always, at the end of this Q&A, if someone's on the voice chat. I used to set a limit like there have to be three people or five people or whatever, but, at, you know, at this point, free comics, you know. Who doesn't want a free comic? I'm not going to, you know, if someone if someone takes time to come here and ask me some questions, have have an interesting conversation, you bet I'm going to offer them the opportunity to win a free comic. So, yeah. Anywho... Uh, so, uh, oh yeah, and the, and the holiday sale is still going on. Um, as always, I, I just need three orders here and I can release that Donald Trump comic. It's a, it's a very interesting historical artifact. Play Donald Trump in, uh, 2012. That's the 
first year of Obama's second term and uh, a long way before Trump even said he wanted to run for president. So um, it's really interesting. And I think uh, three getting three orders in here before the end of the month is doable. So if you want to see me in, in, a, in a phenomenal performance as Donald Trump, then now's your chance to see that. Otherwise, it'll stay hidden for quite a while longer, potentially like a, another year or something. Uh, no, I can only drop these uh, golden uh, treasures from the past so often, so this is quite the opportunity. I mean, from now until December 31st, every Nicholas comic and every VHS tape and everything is 25% off, so I'm practically losing money on this deal, so, you know, just give it a try. Anywho, uh, one really cringe thing that happened this week is that I was pulled into a group chat full of angry SpongeBob fans. One thing I'll never really uh, get is that SpongeBob fans are so passionate. I mean, maybe not all SpongeBob fans, but these guys. I mean, they will just defend their SpongeBob cartoon to no end. Uh, now, of course, SpongeBob is one of those uh, really overrated shows. In fact, uh, a lot of these SpongeBob fans uh, said it was like the show of their generation, and like uh, iconic, which like. SpongeBob's iconic for you. You must have like really low standards, but um, that's just sad. It makes me sad about the state of cartoons currently. Like SpongeBob is the is the bar you're trying to hit. Um, that's why I don't like Alex Bale anymore. You know, used to ha used to have some good videos like uh, Pizza Time Pizza. I like the one about Pixar. That one's pretty funny. I just make SpongeBob shit, and it's like. You can't you can't make this many videos about a cartoon as empty and lifeless and sterile as a fucking SpongeBob. It's like, hi, I'm fucking Squidward. I play the fucking clarinet. Uh, you're an idiot if you watch SpongeBob or enjoy SpongeBob. Nothing against you. You're just really stupid and you don't know what a good cartoon is. I press some of these cringy SpongeBob fans about, like, you know, why do you like it? Get, sell me on this series. And they weren't able to. They were just like, well, it's a fun show. I turn my brain off when I watch it. It's for fun. I just sit there. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a catatonic vegetable, and I just watch every episode of SpongeBob beginning to end. It's like, you know. I just can't imagine watching something uh, and not thinking about it, you know? That's just not how I consume stuff. I mean, I guess if you're, like, a stupid idiot, then maybe uh, watching things and, and, like, not letting them sink in and not thinking about what you're watching, you know, that might be the... That that might be fun for you, I guess. But, like, <clears throat> I mean, man, that, that must just be, like, pretty uh, pretty wild. I can't even begin to imagine what that must be like. And to think that some people think that I'm mentally ill... Meanwhile, we have these deranged SpongeBob lunatics going around and talking about how amazing uh, this fucking cartoon about a sponge is. It's just, like, wild. I'm living in Pizarro land here, you know? Um, so, yeah, death to the vile sponge. Uh, a, a plague upon all his fan base, and may, may blood rain down from the heavens unto, unto SpongeBob, because he's just such a shitty character and such a crap cartoon. Um, terrible shit. You know, I, 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 I run up against this kind of adversity all the time. And, uh, 
these SpongeBob guys are like, hey, did you get bullied in school? And I'm like, yeah, it's a very common experience to get bullied in school. And they're like, I bet you got bullied because you didn't like SpongeBob and people bullied you. It's like, no. Bullies weren't weren't that petty that they gave a shit that I didn't like SpongeBob. Like, no. These SpongeBob fans really think that, like, anyone who doesn't like SpongeBob is insane. I hear all the time, you know, oh, I should respect other people's opinions and takes on things. If they don't respect my opinion, why should I respect theirs, you know? They come at me like, you must be fucking crazy because you don't like this cartoon that we like. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to respect their opinion. They're fucking stupid. And they have the gall to tell me about my comics and, oh, your comics are bad. It's so cringe. It's so cringe. Apparently, one of these SpongeBob fanatics um, was was uh, all the way back in 2019. And I remember something about that in, like, 2019. There's a weird cult of, like, SpongeBob weirdos who were so upset that I was dunking on SpongeBob. They formed, like, this SpongeBob roleplay club where they pretend to be different SpongeBob characters. It's really weird. There's, like, a whole cult around this SpongeBob shit. And uh, it's sad to see animation go down in quality so much. Um, it, it's honestly just depressing, so I'm not going to dwell on that. That said, <clears throat> speaking of, uh, oh yeah, recently, other news. Uh, the U.S. is now going to recognize Taiwan apart from China. You're probably wondering what my thoughts on this matter are. Now, I've never been to Taiwan, so I can't speak on how Taiwan is. But from the way I see it, Taiwan and Hong Kong should be considered separate countries from China. I don't even know why China want what China really wants to do with loser countries like these, because like they're so small, and like mainland China is where it's at, you know. So I don't even know why China would want Taiwan first off. Like they should just let Taiwan become its own thing, you know. But uh, on the other hand, you know, I mean, I guess I guess Hong Kong isn't an island, so that's a little more complex. But I mean, I don't even know what China wants to do with Taiwan, you know. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the racism that I see towards China is just mental. Uh, I guess because it's currently the strongest communist country in the world, and America still has a kind of Cold War stigma where we're very racist towards uh, communist countries. Even like Cuba, we still dunk on Cuba nonstop, even though like Havana's cool as shit and they have all those 50s cars, man. If I could just visit Havana, that'd be the coolest shit. I'd like to, I'd like to go to Havana. You know, Cuba's the closest communist country. And, um, yeah, I mean, Cuba's just awesome. Um... Oh, also, I made I made this point in the last uh, episode, but in Watchmen, in the Watchmen universe, Vietnam becomes the 51st U.S. state, and um, it just occurred to me the other day that like, if that were if that were to happen, the U.S. would have to change its name from the United States of America to the United States of America and Asia because currently. All the United States are in what people consider America. You know, Hawaii's technically an island chain, but it's close enough to America to qualify as like America. But uh, Vietnam is in Asia, so you know we'd have we'd have to like change our name to the United States of America in Asia. 
It seems like Watchmen just keeps trying to one-up itself in, in terms of, like, ridiculousness and, like, oh, this timeline is so different from ours, bitch. You, you never expected the way that this timeline was going to go. Um, but the result is just really poorly written alternate history fiction, which is a shame because alternate history um, is an underrated uh, subgenre of sci-fi, and uh, when done really well, it can be done really well, but Watchmen doesn't do that. It just occurred to me that, like, and I look on the Watchmen wiki, and America in the Watchmen timeline is still just called the United States of America. You can't call yourself that anymore if you have, like, a state in Asia, you know? It'd have to be the USAA, America and Asia. That said, uh, getting back to the whole Taiwan thing, you know, uh, everyone's dunking on China. And I've said before, but I'm not a communist, and uh, I, I wouldn't want to live in China, you know, because I've grown up in America. And obviously, the framework for growing up in America and growing up in China are very different. But I think uh, we need to fucking just leave China alone, you know? They're not doing anything wrong. Um, and to portray China as, like, this evil, terrifying uh, monster country is uh, one of the most racist things I've ever seen. W when, like, actual countries like, like North Korea are out there and fucking, like, you know, like, freaking Iraq and stuff, you know... Um, China is small, but China's nothing. It's a it's a communist country that functions at like peak efficiency, and you know I hear all the time about like mass surveillance in China. People tend to rag on this quite a bit. Mass surveillance in China. Now I I'm not one of those people who uh, particularly likes surveillance, but let's look at the statistics for like Britain. Because uh, did you know that? Britain is, like, the most heavily surveilled country in the Western world. Like, second to China, I think. Let's see here. Most surveilled countries. Because I think, uh, I think like, Britain is, is paranoid to the point where it would just, like... Let's see, most surveilled cities in the world from the uh, India Times here. Let's see. Uh, yeah, London is, uh, in the cities with the most surveillance cameras per 1,000 inhabitants in 2021. Uh, you got two Indian cities, Hyderabad and Indore, uh, a lot of Chinese, but then London is, like, in third place. So, like, that's just crazy, you know? Like, London has the third most surveillance cameras per per 1,000 people. That's wild. It has 73.3 surveillance cameras per 1,000 inhabitants. Now, you might just say that's because it's so tiny, and so it's going to have a lot of surveillance cameras packed in, but, like, that's still really worrying, because there's, you know, other small European countries like Switzerland and, and Austria and stuff, and uh, they don't show up on this list at all. <clears throat> it's like... Yeah, there's like there's like 12 cities and uh, London is the third most. So, you can't really say like I hate mass surveillance and uh say that you like Britain and say that you don't like China cuz like they're they're uh, like uh Beijing it has less surveillance cameras than London. Um 
it's I just find that kind of kind of wild, you know, that like people tend to let Britain off the hook for some of the most twisted shit. And uh it's honestly just disgusting to see. You know, I I, I one of the things I think a lot of people rag on China for is uh the the globalist aspect like people are still scared of the red menace coming out and and taking over America but let me tell let me tell you this right china doesn't want to like take over jack shit their borders have been stable for thousands of years like for the most part you know there's obviously the hong kong taiwan thing but like china is a very stable country it's it's landlocked it 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 never changes, you know, China never changes where it is. So, um, believe me, China doesn't want to take over America. China just wants to be fucking China, and that's fine. Um, let countries be countries, you know. That's what I say. And uh, another argument I hear is, oh, they're not democratic. They have a president. I think they're a democracy, you know. If they had a fucking prime minister, then I'd be like, no, they're not democratic. You know, because prime minister is another word for, like, a figurehead. But he got a president, and he might not be democratically elected, but then again, Vladimir Putin isn't, and we consider Russia a democracy. I mean, I don't think it is a democracy, but, like, you know, Vladimir Putin's a president. I I'd probably consider modern-day Russia a democracy. The thing about democracies is if you don't vote, then you don't win. So, like... If Vladimir Putin has an opponent and people don't vote for him, Vladimir Putin's going to win. That's just how it goes, you know? You know, there, there's the thing about how, like, Vladimir Putin suppresses his opponents. You just need a strong enough opponent. It could be Vladimir Putin. You know, I guess Vladimir Putin's just going to die eventually, but, like, I don't even think China's that bad. Like, China is a... It's still communist, so it still retains that Cold War efficiency that made the Soviet Union such an intimidating force during the space race. And China now has a space agency, and they landed on the far side of the moon in 2019. So it's like they're progressing at such a rapid pace. And even if you don't like China, even if you don't like communism, if you don't respect China and you don't appreciate how fast China is moving, China is going to own America. I don't mean own it. I just mean it's, it's going to, like, own it in, like, the, the cool sense. It's going to totally, like, outperform America. So it's in your best interest to understand that the Chinese system functions. It really does. It, it's very... It, 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 it works. They are a functional fucking society. It's almost scary how well China functions. Um, but they do, you know, so make of that what you will. Now, as for Taiwan, I, I can't say that, like, and the other thing is, like, you know, the globalist thing with China, that's not what China tries to do at all. They want sovereignty, you know, they want to be an independent country with their own, like, culture and stuff. That's the opposite of globalism, um... They, they'd be globalists if they were trying to make France and Mexico and, like, you know, Canada into China, but they're really not. They just want China for themselves because it's their country. They want to do what they want with China, and that's fine, you know? Like, I guess, like, 
globalism as a concept, I can't entirely get behind because just from a practical standpoint, I think it's more efficient to have a bunch of little independently run countries than one big world government. Like, I think it'd be hard to manage the entire world um, just from one spot. And of course, there'd be a big argument over where the world headquarters should be located because there's no singular spot that, like, everyone could agree uh, where it would be. So th that just lead to, like, di division. But I think it's possible to have a utopian society that still has, like, borders and set boundaries between regions and stuff. And I think that system ultimately leads to more diversity, which is nice. And, uh, you know, a, a distinction between different people. Not necessarily, you know, xenophobia or anything, but just to say, like, oh, here's France, here's Mexico, you know. You don't have to have, like, wars and shit, but you can just say, like, oh, cool, different countries, different places, you know. Space of life, it's what makes the world interesting. But I will say this, China's not globalist. Like, they'd be globalist if they tried to take over Vietnam like we did. But um, they really just respected Vietnam's sovereignty. They didn't try to invade Vietnam or anything. They provided foreign aid to Vietnam, um, which is admirable. Now, it could be argued that China was trying to turn Vietnam into kind of like what the Soviet Union was doing with the uh, you know, Western Bloc. But I really think China just didn't want America taking over Vietnam. You know, that's my personal theory. And... Uh, kind of stand i can't see you know because in the end vietnam did become like a like a its own thing it's not china china's never said like we want to take over vietnam now maybe they try with taiwan and hong kong because those places are more similar culturally to china but i've never i've never seen them t try and take over like vietnam like we did you know so yeah i mean just because Vietnam turns communist doesn't mean it turns Chinese. And I think that's one fundamental error we made during the Vietnam War. We thought that because the Chinese influence was spreading to Vietnam, um, it would become like a, an extension of China. But that's not the case at all. It's it's Vietnam. It's, it's a separate country with its own separate stuff going on. And um, just because a country is communist doesn't mean that it's like a global... A collective with all the other communist countries like Cuba and the Soviet Union were two completely different countries, you know, with like very different cultures and, and stances and stuff. They're communist, but they're not like a blob of like flesh, you know, that's not communism and globalism are just not the same thing. And communism just says you know, in this one country, we can we can empower the workers and disenfranchise the bourgeoisie and whatnot. Globalism is like, let's turn the entire uh, freaking planet into one big country with one, um, you know. And I don't, I don't think that's such a good idea, personally. I think it's kind of dumb, but um, it's interesting to think about. Like, it, it'd be interesting in, like, a sci-fi novel or something um, to think about a global, like, uh, global society. Oddly enough, that's not explored much in science fiction. I can't really think about any sci-fi novel where, like, the the world is just, like, one uh, singular entity. I mean, I guess maybe in some sci-fi novels it's kind of alluded to that the world is like that, but um, 
it's never really explored that much. I think that that's an interesting sci-fi concept to think about, like how how that would work out, like how the how the how the entire world could be run from like one spot, like one person or something. That'd be be wild you know just erasing india and china and mexico and just turning everything into one big uh diverse like soup you know that'd be that'd be kind of weird i don't think it would work out because like people like forming small you know insular groups it's just kind of human nature so i feel like even if there was a global society like some people would try and form like a collective identity off the specific spot where they live, you know, because obviously, like, the environment of America is very different from the environment of Asia and so on, so. I don't know if globalism would ever really work. I guess if it's, like, globalism light, where you just kind of make the borders easier to cross and stuff, that that's that's admirable. I mean, trade is always good, you know. Um, thing about China, though, they're not globalists, they're just communist. And, uh, not even pro-communist. I just think it's stupid to be racist towards China. And to think that I get called a racist for, like, just drawing a comic about Vietnam, whereas, meanwhile, these, like, like, everyone's shitting on China just, like, nonstop, and nobody sees this as, oh, it's, it's a bit of anti-Asian stigma going on here, you know? Like, don't you think that, like, dunking on China is just, like, really racist? Like, dunking on North Korea, that's fine. They're insane up there. They're completely wackadoodle. But that's because they're fascist. They're not communist. But China is fine, you know? It's it's a decently run country. I remember when uh, when, when uh, EMC from Unsyke wrote the George Orwell article. And uh, I was talking about, you know, uh, how George Orwell fought in, like, colonial India. And, uh, you know, I thought he had fought in Africa, maybe Africa and India. Um, but he just fought in India. And uh, EMC thought it was really funny to be like, oh, you don't know the difference between Africa and India. And it's like, no, I just don't pay attention to where George Orwell does his colonialism shit because I'm not that interested in his life. But, um... I, uh, the when EMC wrote the article for George Orwell, initially said like Nicholas blames George Orwell for taking part in British colonialism in Burma, and by the same logic, he would blame Vietnam War vets for the Vietnam War. And it's like, shit, yes, I would. Who else would you blame for the Vietnam War other than the people who fought in it? Like. Now, you can always make the argument that, like, oh, George Orwell isn't responsible for the atrocities he committed. It was Queen Victoria's fault. Or, I guess it was the king at that, whatever king was before Elizabeth. Um, or you can make the argument that, like, oh, those Vietnam War vets, that wasn't their fault. They were drafted and, and had to do it because Nixon told them to. And all I can really say to that is that, like, the systems of oppression, like war and stuff, are mainly just upheld by the people who fight. Like, you can blame Nixon, you can blame the people who actually did the fucking fighting. Like, I'm gonna blame them some, 
Some of the responsibility is on them for being such naive, gullible dumbasses and going to fight in a war that, like, nobody did any research on. So, I mean, yeah, I blame Vietnam War vets for the Vietnam War. I blame fucking, like, Nazis for Nazi Germany. Like, what do you expect? Like, yeah, no shit. There's a very good political cartoon. I think I think I've uh, posted here in the server before, but it's very accurate in the way it depicts this kind of thing. It's it's Hitler, and he's stepping on all these like you know leaders of like the other countries like France and and stuff. And he's like climbing his way up to the top like their stairs, and he's like walking on their backs. And it's like spineless leaders of democracy. And I think that's a good to think about it like yeah hitler is technically to blame for not for nazi germany but he was also supported by equally deranged people like you know mangles and gobels and and all that and like they're also to blame they were also bad people but i'm i also blame all the nazis you know the the excuse can be made oh they were just like, you know, th those poor Nazis, they, they didn't have a choice. They just had to sign up for Hitler's army. And to that I say, like, no, not all of them did. Albert Einstein got the fuck out. He wasn't having any of that shit. And uh, for that, he's remembered by history as, like, a brilliant. And uh, he absolutely deserves that. It was a German who saw Hitler's rise to power, and he was like, nah, I'm not having any of that shit, and he left. So, that's admirable. But, you know, every every fucking war criminal at Nuremberg, I think, deserved to deserve what was coming to them. I think Nuremberg is probably one of the most, like, extensive cases of justice the world has ever seen, because it just completely killed every last Nazi, and Germany had to literally rebuild itself from scratch. So that's like quite the, you know, that that's a, that's a very extreme example. Am I saying that, like, every Vietnam War vet should be put to death as a war criminal? Nah, but I'd say a fair portion of them should, as should, like, a lot of the Iraq War vets. And I think it's important to hold these kinds of things, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to hold these kinds of things in perspective, uh, compared to Nazi Germany. If Germany, as as a country, can recognize its mistakes and prosecute its war criminals, I think America has an obligation to do so as the, you know, so-called leader of the free world. I think we need to hold uh, the conflicts that we don't need to fight. I think we need to hold those to the same standard as, like, Nazi Germany, because, quite frankly, what we did in Vietnam was completely ridiculous. And... Yeah, I blame the Vietnam War vets. Like, I guess, you know, the, the standard response to the Vietnam War is to be like, oh, well, they they had no choice. And it's like, you had a choice. You could, you could, you could, the conscientious objector, you could go up to Canada, you could, you could burn your fucking draft card. Plenty of people did. Plenty of people saw the draft card in the mail. They're like, I'm not having any of this shit. They just burn that shit. Because that's what, ha that's what happens in an actual democracy. That's why it it's nice to live in America. Because you can say, I don't want any of this shit. And that's exactly what happened during the Vietnam War. And it was awesome. I think the actual people who should be praised 
During the Vietnam War, the people who burned their draft cards and went to marches and like that because they had a conscience. And they had the ability to recognize what was right and what was wrong. They were smart, they were well-read, they understood history. And, um, you know, those are the people who should be praised. I, I think there aren't nearly enough movies about, like, just the people back in the States who were, like, actually on the front lines of the Vietnam War fighting the fight that needed to be fought, you know, telling people not to go to this thing because they were just going to die. You know, I think that's a side of the Vietnam War that doesn't get touched upon much because we want the sensationalism and spectacle of all these bloody, gruesome Vietnam War battles. But when I see, like, a movie... And it's just a bunch of morons just fighting this war that does not need to be fought and has no purpose behind it. I just think, wow, what a bunch of idiots. And that's why I think Full Metal Jacket's the best Vietnam War movie, because it is about a bunch of idiots. Like, everyone's a fucking idiot. And uh, that's the most accurate representation of the Vietnam War I think I've probably ever seen on film. Um, but there's there's none that are like about, you know, the the state of the United States... Uh, internally, which is a much more interesting subject, in my opinion, because it was practically like a civil war. You have the the populace against the administration, and um, that's a much more interesting conflict to explore. Even if even if you 100% are on board with the Vietnam War, you have to admit that that's an interesting thing to consider, you know, for like a movie. Someone should make a movie set during the Vietnam War that's entirely just in America, because I think it could offer a fascinating new perspective, just like, you know, about people who, like, actually made a difference. Nobody going to Vietnam made a difference because they lost, you know, and Vietnam just became communist anyway, which was what it was going to do before we interfered. So you can't look at the Vietnam War and go like, Oh, at least they made a difference. Like, no, nobody remembers anyone from Vietnam. They were all a bunch of pathetic losers, and they didn't make a difference. If they had been born 20 years earlier and they had signed up for World War II, then yeah. Like, if you were at D-Day, yeah, shit, yeah, you made a difference. Because you won. But you can't say you made a difference if, like, you lost, you know? You can't say, like, oh, at least Viet Vietnam, they made a difference. I'm going to actually read this bit uh, verbatim because I just think it's fascinating and it reveals something about the kind of psyche of these people uh, who defend the indefensible and go like, man, you blame George Orwell for like shooting elephants and shit and like suppressing entire nations. Well, I bet you'd blame Vietnam War veterans like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> I blame oppressive, I, I criticize oppressive structures of power, you know? That's the the sane route to go down, you know? But uh, let's see here. Yeah, we got, I, uh, I, I really, uh, I edited this article, but the original version, thank gosh, you know, I like wiki software because you can look at the original older versions. Um, Nicholas also believes George Orwell murdered black people which he later modified to brown people when it was pointed out to him that Burmese people are not black. You know that there's some immigration between India and Africa, right? Not that stupid, but, like, again... Uh, God, this, this, this critique of my critique of George Orwell is simping so fucking hard for George Orwell. It's just wild. It's like the SpongeBob fans.
Um, I think George Orwell and SpongeBob both appeal to like naive idiots and that like you can read 1984 and it'll just pass through one ear and out the other, uh, much like SpongeBob. They're both really stupid sources of entertainment. Um, regardless, and despite no evidence that Orwell personally murdered brown people, um, yeah, he might not have personally murdered any, but like he killed an elephant and elephants are nice and i like elephants so like i think that's as bad but also he's got the essay in addition to shooting an elephant he's got the essay a hanging right and that's about him going to the gallows and just watching a, a fucking like indian guy getting getting fucking hanged and he's there and he doesn't like say anything about it. he's just like i'm in the fucking british imperial police i can't say anything about this it's so bad. Like, and it's just, it just goes to show, like, what a fucking hypocrite and a, and a liar George Orwell is, because he's so good at, like, washing his hands clean of this shit. If he was just a journalist in this, like, yeah, I'd be like, okay, you're an impartial observer. But no, he's a member of the fucking British Imperial Police, so I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, th this is fantastic. George Orwell exposing the atro you're you're a part of the atrocities, dumbass. Let's see here. We're talking uh, uh, George Orwell talks about like and um he said he says it's only a story and then he says it isn't a story and then um He said, he said, uh, someone says that it's certain that he would have witnessed a hanging and policemen had to see a hanging as an initiation and, uh, cadets were assigned to that. And, um, I think a hanging is true. I think it's real. Cause like, I don't think George Orwell is a good enough storyteller to make this kind of shit up on the spot. Like some, some people can be really convincing with that. I've said George Orwell is a good liar, but I don't think he could just fabricate an entire experience from thin air. I think he, he's better at twisting the truth. I don't think he's good at making entire experiences up, you know? As going on with this critique of my critique of George Orwell. Nicholas believes Orwell's service to British colonialism as a police officer in Burma makes him complicit in the suffering of brown people. Yeah, no shit. But then it goes on to say, this is not dissimilar from Orwell's own retrospective. Note that it's a retrospective and not just basic fucking human decency. Like, if Orwell had a conscience and a moral compass he never would have signed up for this shit to begin with. You know, I mean, I get that you, you learn gradually, but, like, if you're a war criminal at age 20, and then when you're 50, you're like, dang, I guess I shouldn't have been a war criminal. You know, I mean, it takes a special kind of sociopathy to be that flippant about, like, your fucking participation in like the fucking Burmese Imperial Police holy shit he's like a stormtrooper you know um let's see here I had already made up my uh, we got a quote from Orwell here god he's such a smug bastard 
I had already made up my mind that imperialism was an evil thing, and the sooner I chalked up my job and got out of it, the better. Theoretically and secretly, of course, I was all for the Burmese, and all against their oppressors, the British. As for the job I was doing, I hated it more bitterly than I can perhaps make clear. In a job like that, you see the dirty work of empire at close quarters, the wretched prisoners huddling in the stinking cages of the lock-ups, the grey cowed faces of the long-term convicts, the scarred buttocks of the men who had been bogged with bamboos, all these oppressed me with an intolerable sense of guilt, but I could get nothing into perspective. I was young and ill-educated, and I had had to think out my problems in the utter silence that is imposed on every Englishman in the East. Um, so, in short, he's just a dumbass. I had to be quiet because I live under a fucking dictatorship. Ooh, you know, that's not a hero. Like, yeah, I'm not going to go like, ah, oh, yay, a coward, you know. I'm not going to go, oh, wow, such a bold guy, you know. Um, That's, again, the difference between Britain and America in a nutshell right there. Like, during the Vietnam War, you, you could speak out against the Vietnam War because America is a democracy. But uh, let's see. Nicholas, who it should be added, views himself as a liberal, though is curiously sympathetic to the Soviet Union, and once said communism is a liberal ideology. Yeah, I'd say it is. It, it values liberty above all else. Like, it's the most... It values, like, liberty and freedom and self-determination. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's liberal. I mean, it's not neoliberal, like, kind of centrist liberal. Which is, uh, I see myself as, like, center-left, you know? Like, not, not centrist, but, like, like, there are some leftists who are further toward the right than I am. There are some leftists who are further toward the left than I am. But I'm pretty basic left. Like, I, I've said this before, but, um, like, Joe Biden, Obama, um, Kennedy, you know, that's where I pretty much land like yeah that that that's satisfactory to me i think general in general like a president who's as far left as obama uh can run the country competently that's how i see things um but there's nothing about being curiously sympathetic to the soviet union that means someone has to be a communist and i think it's this kind of like us versus them mentality this old cold war bullshit that like is just so so disgusting you know I, I don't know what better word to use for it um you can be sympathetic to a country without like supporting what they did like i think the soviet union was a really great country they made a lot of mistakes which is why they don't exist anymore but i think the soviet union was freaking awesome while while it was on you know they 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 sent the first man into space they sent the first woman into space like you sent the first satellite into space. Like, they were efficient to the max. Also, totally a, a, a gender equality type country. That's fantastic. Also, I like a lot of Soviet rock and, and Soviet synth and stuff. Um, which admittedly only came about during, like, Perestroika. But, um, have you ever, have you ever heard the album Blue Bulbs Play? 
Um, that one is just a freaking jam. It's really good. And I find it interesting that, like, in the Soviet Union, rock music was further to, like, the... It was less leftist and more right, you know, because rock music is supposed to uh, fight against the status quo. And if the status quo in, like, the Soviet Union is, is extreme leftism, then rock is going to be a little more centrist. I find that to be really interesting. But um, a lot of uh, Soviet rock is fucking awesome. A lot of Soviet cartoons and stuff are freaking cool. A lot of Soviet filmmakers are absolute masters at their craft. You know, everyone always says that, like, the Soviet Union had no artistic merit. It just it just didn't have the religious bullshit. It just didn't have, like, here's Jesus. Hey, here's God. Let's paint God today. You know, so, so the Soviet Union had the opportunity, the rare opportunity, the really rare opportunity, to create something in its art that was entirely out of the Christian framework. And I think that's fantastic. There's so many cool Russian stories, you know, that uh, have no connection whatsoever to all this Jesus shit. And uh, Russia was way cooler after it stopped being Christian. Soviet Union is cool. Um, I, I'm just going to come out and say it. Like, yeah, I'm not a communist, but you don't have to be a communist to just admit that, like, Soviet shit is cool. It's cool to think about. That's why a lot of... That's why even, like, over... That's why it's been 30 years since the Soviet Union existed. 30 years after the Soviet Union existed, we're still obsessed with, like, this this giant superpower that was so fantastically efficient that it was able to send, like, the first guy into space um, way before we could. And we we had we were so threatened by it, you know. That's why there's Soviets in. St that's why nobody thinks of Russia as like the Russian Federation. People think of Russia, they think of Stalin. We're always gonna, you know. No no one really thinks of Putin. Like some people, like nobody thinks of Russia as anything other than fucking hammer and sickle and freaking like it's such a definitive point in Russia's history. And the Russian Federation being, for the most part, just Putin um, is boring by comparison. So, yeah, I think the Soviet Union made mistakes, sure. The communists to be like, frick, that was cool, you know. Anyway, here we go with the excuses for Orwell here. Um, Nicholas does not appreciate the material conditions which motivated British workers to join institutions such as the uh, Imperial Police. Uh, that's an interesting point, because Orwell wasn't a British worker. He wasn't, like, blue-collar. He was fucking rich. There's pictures of him, like, on the fucking croquet field. Now, if Orwell had been born poor, right, if he had been born poor... And he was forced into it because uh, it was the only way he could make mo a decent living is to go and, and, and go to Burma. And he was so poor. But he wasn't poor. He was not like... He was a moocher. He was, he was, he was fake poor. He was like the freaking like hipsters who go slumming and shit. That's what he was. He was that, but for his day. He, he pretended... To be poor, but he was so freaking rich. There's, there's photos of him when he's really young. He's like out on this giant fucking croquet lawn, which you know, if you know anything about early 20th century Britain, it's like it was cramped as hell. So to have a fucking lawn, 
Like, that's a privilege, you know? You, uh, you, you see him, like, on this giant fucking estate. He was rich as hell. And uh, he has this story, this one story, which I find really funny, is, is that uh, uh, he pretended to be a hobo one time, and he goes to the hobo camp, you know, like in the middle of London, and he's like, Hey, can I have some bread, please? I'm so hungry. And the main hobo is like, yeah, this is fake as fuck, and we actually have to give bread to the actual hobos, and he's like, I'm a hobo, sir. I'm George Orwell, and I'm the poor little boy. Oh, please, sir, give me some bread, please. And, uh, like, the the absolute gall of this man just to go down to the frickin' homeless shelter and demand that they uh, cater to him because he, he's making believe that he's some kind of, like, ragged bum. It's just, it's just a whole new level of, like, cringe. Um, yeah, I, I, I call Orwell cringe. I don't treat him any differently than I do anyone today. I don't give a shit he's a historical figure. He's fucking cringe. Um, the, the, the critique goes on. Nicholas does not appreciate how remarkable Orwell's denunciation of British colonialism was considering the ideological pressures and material conditions at the time. Um, yeah, maybe in Britain nobody d denounced British colonialism, but, like, you ever think that, like, maybe America did? <laughs> like, you ever think that maybe America didn't like Britain getting all their fingers in the fucking pie? Or, like, what about Gandhi, you know, because he was actually the one being oppressed, you know? Like, maybe you know, when it comes to, like, between Orwell denouncing British colonialism while taking part in it, and, like, Gandhi denouncing British colonialism while fighting against it, uh, I think Gandhi is kind of, you know, more more reputable source on that um, than Orwell. Just a thought. You know, like, yeah, maybe among the British fucking imperial police, nobody uh, thought twice about it, and Orwell barely thinks twice about it, but, like... The entire world isn't Britain, believe it or not. And plenty of people during the British Empire were like, this shit is stupid. Plenty of Americans, I'm sure. You you go back to America in 1920, I'm sure they dumped on Britain. Just no way, no, nobody didn't. It was stupid. Um, given this blind spot in perspective, one wonders how much hatred Nicholas would have for Vietnam vets who came out against the war, like Ron Kovic. Um, let me look up this Ron Kovic guy, because I personally don't search out war criminals, but, like, see this Ron Kovic guy. Because to me, um, you know, if you go to Vietnam, and then you, you have to deal with the horrors of Vietnam, and, you know, all the battles and shit, and then you come back and write about, oh my god, it was so bad... That just seems like, you know, like you're whining about something you went through. But everyone knew it was bad. Like, you knew that when you went over to Vietnam, you're probably going to die. So don't go over there, you know? Then you won't have to make a cringy memoir about, Oh man, it was the jungles of fucking Nam, and we were surrounded by the Viet Cong. And uh, yeah, guess why you're surrounded by the Viet Cong? Because you're fucking invaders and they don't want you there. Get the fuck out, you know?
But, uh, yeah, this guy's in a wheelchair. Classic Vietnam War vet shit, you know. Oh, I'm in a wheelchair. You were in a wheelchair because you went to an active fucking war zone. No shit, you know? Oh, he's he's the author of Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, cringe. Cringe, cringe movie. It's not the best Vietnam War movie. It's like Platoon. It's like Platoon levels. Didn't Oliver Stone also do Platoon? Yeah, um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some good Oliver Stone movies. I've seen The, uh, The Doors is good. I've seen the Ben Stiller show sketch Oliver Stone Land, but, like, Born on the Fourth of July, nah, no thanks, you know, but that's, that's dumb. It's not, it's not a good movie. And, um, you know, I, th I think, I think, um, I think part of it is that, like, give way too much credit to like oh ron cope like yeah you you there there are vietnam vets who came out against the war and then there are just people who never went to vietnam because they didn't want to actively oppress anyone and, and you know didn't engage in that kind of thing and personally i i just yeah i i i like those people more because it seems like they have a basic fucking standard of decency like you'd have to be really stupid to go over to vietnam thinking that like you were making a difference or something so yeah i think vietnam war vets are fucking stupid and that's just how i see it you know you have to be really stupid to go over to vietnam and think like oh such a noble cause you know like it's stupid um this is because Nicholas's criticism is akin to holding enlisted American soldiers personally accountable for the Vietnam War instead of the ruling class. Uh, it's not just akin to that. That is the argument I, I make, kind of, because, like, Nixon is only one guy, you know? He can't fight the Vietnam War on his own. So if nobody went over to Vietnam, the Vietnam War, the, the giant atrocity and clusterfuck that it was, wouldn't have happened. So yeah, I do hold the people, I do hold the pawns that Nixon used personally accountable, because you can't exactly have a war if nobody fights it, and a bunch of morons did fight it, and that's how we got to the mess that was the Vietnam War. The same way I hold Nazis personally accountable. Like, even if, you know, they were forced into it by Hitler, or he was like, oh, you know, you, you have to, you have to, enlist in the third reich or you're not a true german or whatever or you know in intimidation tactics i would if i was in nazi germany and i had to choose between either dying or becoming a nazi i just die because like at that point you 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 either like live long enough to see nuremberg and then you know like you're you're Nazi and then you and then you go straight to nuremberg and you have to face up for what you did and the horrible uh, things you helped like engage in or you die with integrity which is probably a preferable option if getting out of germany isn't an option just like you know there's such a thing as when it's time to quit and becoming a nazi or dying is probably you know i i'd, I'd choose just to die because i wouldn't feel responsible for the pressure that the, Germany was putting on me, you know, just, just a thought, like, if you have a conscience, that's probably what one should, because you die anyway at Nuremberg, you know, 
but um lots of germans didn't die and um you know cuz some germans didn't they weren't nazis and that's how germany rebuilt itself cuz there were still some germans who were like not in with hitler's shit and once the war was over they rebuilt germany from the ground up and today it's one of the most productive countries but i mean that's just such a bad argument like oh we should only hold hitler responsible for the shit that went down nazi no we should hold the people who supported this crazy man responsible and of course in, in v in during vietnam it wasn't even like either you die or you become a nazi it was like you might serve a little jail time and then jimmy carter will pardon you in like eight years which it's just like eight years of jail time like yeah i'd rather spend eight years in jail and retain my integrity um than like die in vietnam yeah like no shit anyway Nicholas also uses the incident described within shooting an elephant as evidence of Orwell's sadism. However, Nicholas has never fully read it. Spoiler alert, I have. I don't like reading Orwell's shit because it's fucking insipid, but I have I was forced to in school. I, I was forced to read it. Uh, Nicholas has never fully read it and so did not read the most crucial details of that event. Um, that being that, oh, the elephant is on a rampage. I don't give a shit. You tranquilize it. You, you, you mean to tell me that they didn't have tranquilizers back then? You know, just a little dart you can blow at it and kind of subdue it? Because that's, that's the option that any, you know, decent person would take. You don't shoot a fucking elephant. They're an endangered species, you piece of shit. Like, goddamn. I don't give a shit if this elephant was killing people or trampling people. Not okay to kill elephants. The same way it's not okay to kill Harambe, you know? Because he's an animal. And this elephant's just an animal. It, it might kill people. Like, yeah, no shit. It's probably sick of all these fucking Brits, you know, invading its homeland. But you just rope it up and restrain it until it calms down. That's all you gotta do. Like, don't shoot, don't kill elephants. That's not a cool move, man, you know? Stop killing wild animals, you know? Not cool. Explaining to Nicholas that the elephant had already killed someone and would likely kill more had it not been shot has proven fruitless. Like, I don't give a shit. It's a wild animal. You know, the, the difference between wild animals and people... And, like, more advanced species like chickens and monkeys and stuff. You know, the difference between, like, an elephant and, like, more advanced species is that an elephant really can't, like, get control of itself when it's in that kind of state. When it's going into must, you know, the sexual uh, frustration period, which Orwell describes. And the, the, the thing about people is that, you know, we have self-control. We, we have the ability... Uh, to control ourselves. And I think part of George Orwell's big ideology, part of the reason I find his work so insulting, is because they completely strip that element of self-determination from the characters. In George Orwell's eyes, uh, societies can just rewrite entire chunks of history. They can just do anything and get away with anything, which they really can't. 
humanity always figures out what's wrong and what's right in the end. And when justice comes, you know, when Nuremberg happens, you're going to be held accountable for your shit. So, like, I just find it kind of funny that, like, yeah, it's okay to kill an elephant, but um, the British people suppressing Indian, they have no self-control. We can't hold them accountable. Like, you know, one is a wild animal that has no... It, it's just following its instincts. And on the other, we have people who have consciences and minds, but they're not using them. They're just a bunch of dumbasses. And so, like, I think George Orwell... Um, that's kind of an interesting subtext when you think about it. Another book of George Orwell, which Nicholas has not read yet, is for... I don't need to read 1984 to know 1984 is shit. It's been around for, what, 70 years at this point? You... Everyone knows what 1984 is. Um, Nicholas believes the book is a reflection of Orwell's own sexist, sadistic, rapey, and libertarian tendencies. For example, he believes Winston Smith is George Orwell's characterization of himself. Yeah, no shit. Nicholas cites a passage he once googled during a heated discussion because he has not read the book. Actually, I did read this part, because it's in like the first three chapters or something. I made it in, like, five chapters before I realized it was just going to be a bunch of shit. But I did read this part. Um, this guy doesn't think I've, I've read it, but I actually did read this part, and it made me sick. Uh, let me read it to you in full here. It was even possible at moments to switch one's hatred this way or that by a voluntary act, suddenly by the sort of violent effort with which one wrenches one's head away from the pillow in a nightmare. Winston succeeded in transferring his hatred from the face on the screen to the dark-haired girl behind him. Vivid, beautiful hallucinations flashed through his mind. He would flog her to death with a rubber truncheon. He would tie her naked to a stake and shoot her full of arrows like St. Sebastian. He would ravish her and cut her throat at the moment of climax. Better than before, moreover, he realized why it was that he hated her. He hated her because she was young and pretty and sexless. Because he wanted to go to bed with her and would never do so because round her sweet, supple waist which seemed to ask you to encircle it with your arm. There was only the odious scarlet sash, aggressive symbol of chastity. Um, I, ju I just don't know how someone could read all this insult shit and go, oh yeah, that's excusable. Like, Winston Smith is not an anti-hero or something. He's supposed to be the, the character the reader connects with because he's like the only character in this oppressive society who rebels against the oppressive society. But the problem is that he's oppressing against, he's rebelling against a communist society. He's a fucking ANCAP, like Dag, Dagny Taggart. And the other problem is that he is, he is like a giant fucking misogynist. Like, yeah, no shit. I'm, I'm going to read this and assume that this guy is creepy as fuck. Also, obviously, the scarlet sash that this girl has around her waist, it's red, you know, because it's a communist country. 
And what Orwell is talking about here, and you'd have to be fucking insane not to get this, is that in the Soviet Union, women were treated as equals. And Orwell doesn't like that because he thinks women are only for sex and making babies. And I, I guess, like, in 1984, there's... Um, it, it, it's that, like, sex just for pleasure is, is bad and uh, sex for having babies is good or something, which is just not how the Soviet Union was, you know. In the Soviet Union, I guess they encouraged procreation, but you could have sex. You just had to be respectful uh, to women, you know. Um, like, pornography was banned and stuff, and that's a whole separate thing in itself on whether, you know, pornography is empowering or not empowering. But the Soviet Union wasn't, like, sexless. You could have sex. You just treated women as, like, equals. And they absolutely were. They dominated the factories. They dominated companies. Soviet women are freaking badass. You know, I look at this uh, first woman to go to space. She's, like, a she's cool as frick. You know, and um, we didn't get a woman in space until, like, the 80s. Just like, you know, solo. Or like one of the space shuttle missions was run by a woman, but they they spent they sent a, a woman solo into space, nineteen sixty three. That is wild. Valentina Tereshkova. She's so cool. And uh that's what Orwell hates about the Soviets is that they just like empower women and they're they're an equal gender society, you know. And, uh, like, that's why he fantasizes about raping and cutting the throat of this poor communist girl who, like, it's so disgusting. It just makes me sick to think that anybody takes this guy seriously on anything. Like, it's just wild. And that, and that someone would be so upset about me calling this out is like, this is fucking creepy. Um, that, like, they'd, they'd write this whole... Uh, rebuttal on the Nicholas Comics wiki and try and own me and prove that, oh, Orwell doesn't really mean this. Like, I'm not even a, a, a an advocate of, like, political correctness. Like, if there's a, a, a comedy from the 80s and there's something of, offensive in it, I'll let that go, you know. I, 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 don't, I don't think anything is problematic enough to get canceled or woke or anything. But this is just uh, lurid, like, disgusting rape shit. Like, this is so blatantly disgusting that, like, like you know, how, how do you, like, defend this shit? And it's not just that, like, oh, it, it's, it's, or, or it's so deep, you know, like, Cannibal Holocaust, that's a deep movie. There's so many layers to it, and there's a lot of ethical debate over whether what happens in it is morally justified or not. You know, there is a rape scene in that. But I think there is a difference between critiquing sexual assault like Cannibal Holocaust does, that's just an actress, and it's actively calling out that behavior. There's a difference between that and, like... Or I've made the point that the, the rape scene in Reanimator is uh, not justified because uh, it comes out of nowhere. It's an adaptation of a, of a story which didn't originally have the rape scene, so it has no reason to be in there. It's just 
focusing on this uh, act of sexual assault for no reason other than to have it in there. Um, I think it's justified in Reamer. There are some cases in which a, a scene of sexual assault can be justified contextually. But in 1984, it's not, because Winston's supposed to be the good guy. That's, that's like, ridiculous. That's like if in Cannibal Holocaust, uh, the, the, the documentary crew were presented as the good guys. That'd be so stupid. But against all odds, people defend 1984. It's ridiculous that people defend this shit. And, and again, it's not a political correctness thing. It's just like a basic fucking decency, like, it's just you can't be a decent person and defend this shit I think when when this moron says that I haven't read 1984 yeah I haven't read all of it but I think a, part of the problem is that a lot of people never even go as far as to read the first few chapters they're just like oh this book is anti-authoritarian well that's good enough for me I don't like authoritarianism so this is automatically a masterpiece and that's the problem if you don't understand that there's communist authoritarianism and like fascist authoritarianism and 1984 is only about the communist type then you start to realize that like it's it's not just about authoritarianism it's about communism Ingsoc is the soviet union big brother is stalin you would need to be really stupid not to see not to see this and like because Ingsoc does not display the characteristics of a fascist regime it's not right wing and uh the other two countries uh Eurasia and East Asia are also not uh they're, they're not like they're not fascist either they're all communist what George Orwell is doing is presenting a futuristic scenario where the entire world goes communist and trying to prove, despite evidence to the contrary, that a communist world would, by necessity, be this vile war zone full of just constant, nonstop conflict. Um, even though the Soviet Union and China are like two of the most stable countries in history. Let's see here. Uh, God, these critiques are just so basic. Basic shit. Um, it has been explained to Nicholas several times that the characters of 1984 live in a sexually repressive society, and the link between sexual repression and sexual violence is well established. I mean, I guess if you're just a disgusting, horny pig, and... Your society encourages women to, like, report sexual harassment and stuff. Like, if you were in a Soviet factory, and you went up to a female co-worker and, like, groped her on the ass, um, she could she could report you to the, the factory owner or whatever, and uh, you'd be held accountable for your action. If, I guess that's what qualifies as, like, sexual repression here. You're not sexually repressed. You're just a creepy misogynist. That's all. Fuck. It, it's not that hard to get. Orwell makes this connection clear in the text, which shows an awareness that might not be present if Winston was indeed just George Orwell. It has also been pointed out to Nicholas that Winston does not actually harm the woman, 
and that Nicholas therefore engages in the sort of thought policing of a fictional character, no less, that Orwell considered dangerous. First off, I don't give a shit what Orwell considered dangerous because he lives in schizophrenia land. Um, but yeah, if a person thinks about rape this often and, and looks at some girl who's just minding her own goddamn business and, and thinks, ooh, I'd like to slit her throat, then uh, yeah, that's a, that's a concerning thought to have and you should go get some mental help, you know? Like, yeah, no shit. Um... It's good to thought police. It's good to, like, yeah, no shit. Thoughts can lead to actions. Like, that's, that's well known. If you think about something and you fixate on it for long enough, you could do it. Like, that's why people are upset at pedophiles, even if they don't actively hurt children. You get, you don't like people talking about this stuff because it's disturbing and wrong. And I think that's... It's our responsibilities as, as a society to, like, help people with mental issues. And George Orwell clearly was, like, a goddamn schizophrenic and never got any treatment for that. But, you know, it's ridiculous. Nicholas's tendency to read texts very literally and strawmanning prevents him from understanding the above context. There's no other way to read that, that part other than literally, there's no metaphor, there's no sub, there's no like, there's nothing hidden about it. It's Winston Smith talking about how he'd like to abuse this woman, and that's not okay, and it's, it's a literal description. So like, yeah, no shit, I'll read that literally. Um, context. My ass. Uh, God, this is just so bad. I think maybe I, I looked at this before here on the Q&A, but I, I wish more people would rebut my uh, very valid points like this, like with George Orwell and stuff, because, like, because, like, like some, of the, some of the points that are made against my arguments are so bad, some of the counter-arguments I see are so bad uh, that they, they really are funny. My God. Uh, let's see here. Nicholas interprets the book as being anti-government when it is, in fact, anti-authoritarian. I don't think it's anti-government. I think it's anti-communist. Uh, I think anti-government and anti-authoritarian are kind of the same thing. It's just anti-communist. Very specifically, it's a book about how communism is designed internally to fail, I guess you could say is the main thesis of the book, that... Communism is uh, bad at maintaining itself, which it absolutely isn't. It, that's why China is kicking our ass right now, because they're total bosses on the global stage. Same with, like, Vietnam. Well-run country. But, uh, let's see here. Uh, then he brings up the Orwellians, which uh, he says is a fanfic which it's believe me I'm not a fan of Ayn Rand or George Orwell but um it's a movie which is something George Orwell was never capable of making cuz the guy was not creative but um ah this is so bad 
he he smears a leftist whose work he has never read as the type of person who would be friends with Ayn Rand and insults everyone who enjoys his work or even further who is bothered to read it. Yeah, no shit. If you waste your time reading 1984 when you could be reading something cool like like the Martian Chronicles, you're a loser. Go figure. If if you if you read George Orwell all the way through, you're a time waster. Anyway, um. So yeah, I just thought I'd I'd give a brief uh, overview on that because that's the kind of shit that people uh, bring up whenever I like hate on on Britain and stuff. And I think like you know people might look at my defense of communism, which is that it's crazy efficient and it can outcompete America, which is why the Soviet Union was a legitimate threat to America, and why the Cold War happened is because the Soviet Union was completely kicking our ass. And I'm not a communist sympathizer. I just think that you need to, you know, you you actually need to appreciate that communism is efficient. Uh, I'm not even saying that a society needs to be 100% efficient, but communism is that. So a, a communist country will be able to get way more done than any any other type country. Because everyone is aligned towards the same goals, and there's no internal conflict. Everyone is just on track to get shit done. And you know, I mean, I think the 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 caricature that America drew of the Cold War, um, of the Soviet Union during the Cold War, is in direct conflict with itself. In that we both we painted the Soviets both as bumbling idiots, and as uh, you know, a legitimate threat. They can't be both. They're either incompetent or dangerously competent. And we had to discredit them and be like, those Soviets are so poor and they they have nothing but beans to eat and uh, they, they suck and uh, they're, they're so bad at running them. But at the same time, we had to be like, holy shit, these commies are coming for us. They're going to totally obliterate us, wipe us off the fucking map. Um, so, you know, you can't, you can't exactly say that the Soviet Union is like both at the same time. And in, in actuality, the Soviet Union was only one of those. They were not incompetent. Uh, the living standard in the Soviet Union was like excellent. And sure, they didn't have as much freedom of speech as, as America. And, um, you know, they didn't like dissent because communism naturally doesn't want people speaking out against it or anything. So... I wouldn't want to live in the Soviet Union. I like free speech, but I'm an American, so I can defend communism if I want. Uh, not as, like, an active participant in it, but just as, like, a neutral observer. I don't give a shit how Russia or China run. I don't give a shit how Cuba or Vietnam run. I don't care if a country's communist. I'm not that petty, you know? And I, I don't assume that they're trying to invade America. Um, they just want to be their own country, their own thing, you know. But, um, yeah, anyway. So, I'm not gonna, like, it's just a really stupid argument that, uh, I'm sick of hearing, but, like, yeah, George Orwell, in his book, Ingsoc, is, like, so poorly run that, like, everything's falling apart, Oh no, the infrastructure is so shitty and everyone is living in squalor. And you go back to the Soviet Union and they were so bureaucratic. Everything was so compartmentalized. They kept track of everyone and everything. Um, it was so efficient. 
you know it it was not uh again i'm not saying efficiency equals like the best possible standard of living but they were efficient they were an incredibly efficient country so and a lot of people might uh compare what i'm saying here to like the old argument that oh mussolini could get the trains running on time which Really, he couldn't, because fascist countries don't run efficiently. Nazi Germany was, like, so bad at su supplies and shit, and so many more people starved in Nazi Germany uh, than in the Soviet Union, which doesn't get brought up that much. But when you don't have any food coming in, and you're using all your land to build bombs and guns and shit instead of crops... Um, you're not going to be a productive, efficient society. And, like, Nazi Germany, terrible fucking standard of living. Nobody had a fun time in Nazi Germany. But the part of the problem is that, like, Mussolini probably didn't get the trains running on time. There's some, there's some dispute over the historical accuracy of that. You know, you know, did get the trains running on time? Fucking Moscow. You know, you could take you could take a freaking train from Moscow to somewhere. You'd be going like a bullet. Like the Soviet Union just completely installed railways and public infrastructure that put us to shame. They're a communist country, and they put all their funds into all this public infrastructure. They had trains that are just like trains, incredible trains, commuting that would that would make what we have here in America look like small potatoes. It was so much easier to commute to work in a, the Soviet Union. Again, I'm not saying efficiency is inherently better, but uh, the the thing about Mussolini getting the trains to run on time, it's kind of like you know what what it's saying essentially is that you can have uh, small points of efficiency within a poorly run system. But then I hear all the time, Britain has free health care. Has, they don't have a fucking democracy. Like, yeah, no shit. That you can get a, you can go to the doctor for free, and that's nice and all. You can't vote. Okay, I think that's a bigger problem. Um, just a thought. You know, I think I think the right to vote is a little more important than access to aspirin. And free healthcare is nice. Free college is nice anything for free is nice you have to ask like how how often do you really get sick to the point where you would need free health care i get it you know as as medication or whatever can be expensive and we have insurance that doesn't always come to but again which is more important the right to vote or the right to have a free asthma medication you know i think the right to vote is more important because it's just nice to determine the trajectory of the country in which you live instead of entrusting complete strangers to do it. But I guess that's just one example of the hypocrisy that gets shown towards Britain and uh, people being like, free healthcare? They got us. Be no, they don't got you. Britain is a... F I can't even imagine what it must be like to live in Britain. It's horrible. They, they, they've cut off their ties from the EU... They're deprived of resources. Like, they're in a shambles right now. And it's just ridiculous the extent to which people will defend them. But, 
That said, I suggest checking out Valentina Tereshkova. She's an absolute total, like, oh, my God. It's so cool that they got a woman's space in 1963. According to her Wikipedia article here, she's uh, being she's the first and youngest woman in space. Um, she was... Uh, I mean, she's just so, she's just so, such a badass. Like, how do you look at the Soviet Union sending a woman in space in frickin' 1963 and go, oh, yeah, the Soviets are so incompetent. No, no, they frickin' weren't. Um, let's see here. How old was she? She, she was young. Oh, yeah, 26. She was only 26. That's wild. Um, and that's a record I think, yeah, she holds to, to this day. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, cosmonauts totally uh, did cool shit that uh, America didn't do. Anyway, so um, it's 423. We've got about a half hour left. I think I'm going to read one of the articles that my haters on Reddit uh, provide me with. I haven't read any of them except uh, a couple episodes back. I read one about a guy who wants to stop being passive-aggressive, but uh, ironically becomes even more passive-aggressive and talks about how he goes to his apartment's gym and uh, one of his neighbors is in there, and, you know, she's exercising. And she has, like, a yoga mat on the floor, which is something that is normal when you go to a gym. You spread a yoga mat on the floor, but she's not using it at the moment, and she's, like, on the treadmill or something. And this guy is such an immature man-child that he can't just, like, Go somewhere else for a while until she's done, or like you know, just uh, not exercise that day. But he has to go in there and ask, and be a condescending weirdo to her and be like, "Hey, why do you have your yoga mat out if you're not using it?" And uh, yeah, and uh, that was pretty funny. So I'm gonna look at another one of these articles here because I find this kind of self-help bullshit really fascinating. I think it's it's interesting to live in the age where uh, everyone is self-diagnosing themselves with all these mental illnesses because like you get crazy shit where everyone thinks they're a psychiatrist and they've unraveled the intricacies of the human brain and whatever seven tips for dealing with criticism when you're a highly sensitive person again ironically my haters accuse me of being passive aggressive but linking me to all these self-help guides is a much more passive-aggressive behavior than what I do. I directly insult people I don't like, but, you know, subtly telling someone they're crazy is kind of a more smart-ass, passive-aggressive thing to do. Anyway, seven tips for dealing with criticism when you're a highly sensitive person. I invited Christine Reber to write a guest post uh, based on her expertise with highly sensitive people. I think you'll find Christine has some great insights and helpful tips for managing criticism, even if you aren't, uh, even is you aren't a highly sensitive person. Typo right off the bat in the first paragraph. We know we're uh, dealing with some real uh, professional shit here. This totally isn't just a bunch of pop science. Uh, again, this is from psychcentral.com. I always like to cite my uh, what I'm reading. This is from psychcentral.com's uh, bl blog. Um, seven tips for dealing with criticism when you're a highly sensitive person. So go and check it out if you if you're if this sounds interesting. Um, 
Hearing criticism is a challenge for most of us, but for the highly sensitive person, it can be especially distressing and downright devastating. Uh, highly sensitive people tend to have more intense reactions to criticism than their non-sensitive counterparts, and as a result will often employ certain tactics to avoid criticism, such as people-pleasing, criticizing themselves first before the other person has a chance to, and avoiding the source of the criticism altogether. Um, yeah, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a people-pleaser. Uh, when I make art, it, it's my, my message, my statement, and I don't, I don't cater to the crowd. Like, if you don't like my art, then fuck off, you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, th these highly sensitive people sound polite, uh, which is nice. I, I can't, like, mailing me a package that says, uh, mailing me mailing supplies that say cremated remains, uh, that's not criticism, that's a death threat. And it makes you look bad. You know, it makes you look, um, like, pathetic. That's not criticism. Now, the argument can be made that I've made death threats against people. Uh, I wouldn't say... I'm a sociopath or anything, so I'm not g ever going to kill anyone. But, yeah, I've said, like, uh, I hope worms eat out your eyes, uh, I, why don't you go commit seppuku, you know. But I I'm fooling around, and obviously they're not going to do this, and it's all good-natured internet banter. Welcome to the internet. You hear stuff like this all the time. Hey, why, do why don't you chop off your feet and make them into a macrame, you know? If you take this stuff too seriously, I think you're the highly sensitive person. Um, I've never heard anything like that from my haters, especially. But then again, I don't send them, like, cremated remains, uh, stuff that says that. Because, you know, that that kind of be crossing the line to, like, send them stuff, um, gruesome things like that in the mail. I, I don't stoop to that level. But um, that's a lot more passive-aggressive and, like, indirect than just being honest and being like... You're a horrible person, you know? And, um... Gosh, am I a hypocrite? Maybe that's what they should have sent me, articles on being a hypocrite. Because I feel like I'm kind of a hypocrite in that regard. But then again, they sent me the cremated remains stuff first, so... Um... Yeah, these highly sensitive people, it doesn't say that they, like, uh, fly into a violent outburst. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think they... They sound pretty polite, so... That's not me, because when I, when, when someone send, well, I've never really dealt with criticism. I, I've never really heard from, like, a, an actual comic critic. I've just heard from a bunch of assholes who are like, I, I've read Watchmen. I watch Spongebob, and by the standards of Spongebob, your comics uh, suck. Um, so th that's not criticism. You can't be a critic if you don't know uh, what you're talking about. A while back, a couple episodes ago, we had someone on who was, uh, considered themselves like a big critic, and they're like, I'm criticizing you, can't you handle criticism? And then I point out to them that it, they don't even know what EC Comics is, and they're a complete dumbass. They have no idea about comics at all. And uh, I completely pwn them. But, you know, I mean, not everyone's a critic, and that's okay. Not everyone is cut out to think analytically. Like, Spongebob fans definitely aren't. Every Spongebob fan is a fucking idiot, but that, that's okay. P there are idiots in the world. But what bothers me is when stupid people, uh, 
overestimate their capacity to give nuanced explanations of things. And uh, that's what bothers me. And, and I'm fine with criticism. You can talk all day about college buddies with me. You can talk about what you like about it. You can talk about what you don't like. But if you don't know what the fuck college buddies is, then just go away. Because you're, you're not interesting to talk to. Anyway. Criticism can cut deep, but it doesn't have to be crippling. If you are a highly sensitive person and struggle with criticism, here are some strategies that are aimed to help you move and grow through these experiences more gracefully. Um, criticism, at least what they call criticism, it doesn't cut deep with me. I'm entirely indifferent to it. And uh, then, I, then I just send them like a picture of the meat butcher gouging their eyes out or something, and uh, they're complete lol cows, and they, they just keep going after it. Um, but it doesn't cut deep with me. I, I, I'm beyond the point of giving a shit with these losers. Um, and I, I found a lot of people, like, for instance, when I was invited to the SpongeBob call, I insulted them, you know, because I'm, I'm blunt and honest like that. And they were like, oh, shit, we've made you angry. It's like, no, you, you haven't made me angry. You're just stupid, and it's fun to laugh at you, and you're... stupid um determine if the criticism is constructive or destructive so here we have a very uh, basic uh, explanation of the difference between um constructive and destructive criticism i would say all good criticism is constructive i think destructive criticism uh, you know the term i'd use is just like bullshit but uh you know i can see why this professional's article doesn't use that term but i just call it bullshit i just call it a stupid person talking about things they don't understand and um like george orwell fans or spongebob fans those people are fucking stupid but uh destructive criticism seeks to tear down or directly attack the person and does not include practical advice for improvement um you know, you can say something is bad without telling someone how to fix it. Sometimes I think it's better to just say something is bad and talk about what's wrong and not talk about what's right, because then the person will have to kind of figure out uh, what they did wrong. You know, you're not, like, giving them all the answers. You kind of have to... You just say what's wrong, what you don't like, and then the creator of the piece can kind of extrapolate, oh... That was a mistake. You know, if you point out someone's mistakes instead of being like, here's what you could do better, um, they'll have to actually think about what what was wrong about it. So, you know, I think you can directly just, like, give a scathing, cynical, just nonstop verbal assault on something if it's that bad, like I do with 1984. Other things aren't quite as infuriating, so I don't really go that hard on them, but, you know, it, it varies. Um, don't respond immediately. Our first instinct when faced with criticism is to get defensive. Even when the criticism is intended to be helpful, it can feel like rejection, which triggers our natural flight-or-fight response. Again, I think, I think humanity has evolved past the point of fight-or-flight. At least I have, you know. I don't have caveman tendencies, but teach their own, I suppose. 
When we fire back immediately from a place of intense emotion, we often say things we regret later. As best you can, resist the urge to respond right away. Take a step back from the situation and think about how you're going to process it. Wait until you're in a calmer, clearer space before you see anything. Um... You know, I, I, nothing I've said to these fuckers uh, I regret. Uh, I stand behind it 100%. And I had fun uh, mocking them and publicly insulting them and taking a big shit all over everything they said. And, uh, yeah, I don't regret it at all. Then we get an ad for BetterHelp, one of these fake psychiatry uh, pop science uh, outlets. Then we have uh, another tip. Avoid black and white thinking. Many HSPs, like, we've gotten to the point where highly sensitive person is a category, like a, like a recognized cat. That's too, that, that's stupid. Nobody needs to be categorized this much mentally. Like, sure, there's actual condition, there's ADHD, there's ADD, there's bipolar. Those are well-documented. When you just say, oh, you're an HSP. Like, that's getting way too... That's thinking about people's personality types and shit too much. That's getting way too, like... And, like, come on. Not everyone is mentally ill. Not everyone has a condition... Oh, I'm an HSP, man. That's so hard. No, it's not... That's not a thing. Come on. Anyway. Many HSPs struggle with black and white thinking, meaning that they see themselves as a huge success one moment and a complete failure the next, based on their most recent accomplishment or failure. It uh, doesn't apply to me. I see most of my work is decent, uh, mediocre. I've spoken on this at length. I don't think I'm anything special. All I attest to be is, is a competent artist. I don't say I'm the best. I don't say I'm the worst. I'm just like, yeah. I, 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 I draw shit. Um, this type of thinking prevents people from seeing themselves as a cohesive, realistic, whole compromise. There isn't a space between whole and compromise. Another indication that we're not exactly dealing with a, you know, with a, with an academic, uh, term paper here, you know, we're not, we're not dealing with like a, like a thesis or anything of both positive and negative traits. Stay present and give your thoughts a reality check. Once you've identified an extreme thought, ask yourself, where is the evidence that I'm the worst employee on the entire planet? This is so basic. Like, anyone can, anyone can, you don't even need to read this article. You just need to be a functioning person with a functioning brain. This is the most surface level shit. Ask questions. It can be easy to uh, misinterpret even the slightest amount of negative criticism. Ask follow-up questions to make sure you fully understand what is being said to you. This is especially important if the criticism isn't particular clear. So many typos. Do people know how to write anymore? Particular clear? Particularly clear. Jeez. Uh, it is said that there is a kernel of truth in every, every criticism. At the very least, a person's criticism carries the truth of how that one person sees you.
Yeah, that doesn't mean they're right. Other people can be wrong sometimes. It says, um... Other people in our lives often act as mirrors to reflect back to us the things we cannot see for ourselves. Find a way to use this as a learning experience to improve yourself. Always with this self-help shit, it's like, improve yourself, improve yourself, improve... Take a rest from improving yourself and just be you, okay? Constant improvement. Hey, improve yourself. Become the best person on the planet Earth. Become a freaking uber minch. It's so dumb. Just be a normal-ass person and life will be great for you. You know, I, I'm so sick of this constant improvement mantra. Which is absolutely symptomatic of this current mental illness tra uh, trend. This freaking crazy, crazy craze, I guess you could call it. It's like... Time to improve yourself, time to improve your art, time to improve your output, time to improve your work ethic, time to improve fucking everything, you know? Not everything needs to be improved 24-7. Just live your life and you'll evolve naturally. Just calm the fuck down, you know? Don't believe everything you feel. Feelings are not facts. Feelings are feelings. Sometimes feelings can be influenced by objective facts. Like, this is the worst advice. Don't believe everything you feel. Don't trust your own brain. Your brain is lying to you because it's a scheming bastard. Don't trust how you feel. That's not, like... Yeah, not everyone's always 100% rational, but, like, in general, if I'm angry at something, like... Or I'm sad at something... I'm responding to external stimuli, so, yeah, feelings probably are facts. Just a thought. Um, let's see. Making it, uh... Ask yourself if your feelings are based on present reality, on past experiences, or on fears you have about the future. Again, is everyone this insecure? How do we function as a society if everyone is this insecure and constantly worrying about the past and future? All you should worry about is the present reality. That's what matters. The past, as, as, uh, as Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared says, the past is far behind us, the future doesn't exist. That's what I say. I agree with, I agree with the frickin' clock man, you know? Anyway, here we go. Um, the last one. Do something nice for yourself. Um, it's important for HSPs to engage in good self-care following these experiences and do what they can to self-soothe slash comfort themselves with something pleasurable, a funny movie, a long bubble bath, a good book, your favorite treat. Being warm and kind to yourself when the going gets rough will make a big difference in helping you achieve more balance and greater peace of mind. I, I, I hate this term, self-care. Just call it living a satisfying existence, you know? When you call it self-care, you, you reduce, like, basic recreation... Um, to a productive thing. It doesn't need to be productive. You don't need to justify eating an ice cream or watching a movie you like. So, you can just say, I find these things enjoyable. 
You don't need to be an absolute hedonist. Like, yeah, it's good to be, it's good to focus on stuff that isn't so pleasant all the time, work or, you know, do, do things that aren't your favorite thing. That way you can learn to appreciate the good stuff aside from the bad stuff. But self-care is such a f stupid phrase. I'm so sick of it. Like, oh yeah, I'm taking a long bubble bath because I... I'm I'm self-caring. Like no, self-care is like if you have a fucking wound and you go out and buy some isopropyl and tweezers. That's self-care. That's like caring for yourself. That's you know, that's like a a a legitimate threat to your well-being. Like if you have if you step on glass or something. That's self-care. If you if you remove the glass with tweezers and then you put a band-aid on. That's self-care. Watching a movie, you don't need to psychologically justify this as like, I need to watch this movie or I'll go crazy or I'll go fucking off the handle. Like, just watch a movie. Just eat a ice cream. God damn. Anyway, this article is really stupid. Frickin' Psych Central or whatever. I mean, I have nothing against neurology. It's an interesting subject. But when it's all crowded out, like, the actual science is crowded out by this pop science shit, and everyone is like, oh, I'm an HSP, I'm an, I'm a freaking neurotic, you know? You just get a society of unstable whiners who just are like, hey, I know I'm not medically diagnosed with ADHD or bipolar, but I'm, I'm a highly sensitive person, or I'm a... I'm a self-care per- No, you don't have anything. And that's okay. I guess some people just feel like mental illnesses will make them, like, exclusive or something, or, like, special, or, like... You know, some people just, like, function. And that's okay. Not everyone needs to be full of neurotic neuroticism. And that's fine, you know? I mean... I get that some people go through depression or stress. I have never experienced anything even close to depression. I can't even imagine what that experience must be like, just feeling at all times like you're completely worthless and your life is a lie and everything. But, like, there's a very big line between being chronic, having chronic depression, you know, having an actual medical diagnosis from a, psyche, from a psychiatrist, and being a, a high, highly sensitive person, or like having autism. Yeah, autism isn't like depression. I'm not even going to equate those two. You, you, you need to be stupid to think of those as anywhere in the same ballpark. In one, you, you, you maybe can't make eye contact or something. In the other, your entire existence is a constant barrage of like, you feel like shit all day, every day. They're two different things, you know? They're two different... That's why autism isn't a mental illness, because it doesn't stop you from functioning or living a fulfilling life. Depression does, you know? It's a bad thing. It's not good. So I, I just think... Less of this pop science shit. I'm so stupid. How the pandemic... Here's some more articles from Psych Central if you're interested. Hip-hop artist Logic's suicide hotline song may have saved hundreds of lives. Then again, maybe it hadn't. Maybe it didn't, but who knows? Is there any real way to measure that? 
how the pandemic impacted our relationships. Probably made it probably made a lot of people get closer because they're stuck up together, you know. I imagine tons of couples actually got closer during the pandemic because they had to live with each other and deal with it. Like, I guess if you're in a long distance relationship or whatever. Uh, Self-harming behavior in children, how adults can approach. Uh, we got how to use positive affirmations for a fulfilling life. And some of the, they say medically reviewed, or no, only some of them say medically reviewed, like the logic one, for instance, isn't medically reviewed. I just find it stupid that you'd have articles on a website called Psych Central that aren't medically reviewed. Like, like, you, you don't go, go to amateur doctors, why would you go to an amateur psychiatrist? Like, that's just stupid. Like, that's so dumb. Because, like, I think the problem, in part, is that people think differently about neurology than they do about any other branch of medicine, which is the wrong way to go about it. The brain is just another organ, and it functions just like any other part of the body. Sure, it's less understood than the spleen or heart or liver. It's a more complex organ, but they're... But it operates on the same basic principles. It's just a system that functions. And once you get to, once you come to terms with that, then you should stop reading this fake, this fake stuff that like is not helpful. And uh, I'm looking at the medically reviewed articles, and they actually look decent. Like all about functional magnetic resonance imaging, or. Uh, you, you got one uh, brief psychotic disorder. But then you have like, hey, logic, logic song about a suicide hotline might have saved, might have re reduced suicides somewhat. We don't know if this is true, but it might, it might be. Who, who knows, right? Like, so stupid. And uh, like, that's not psych, that's not psychiatry. Like, knock it off, you know? Uh, <laughs> It's like it's like if you went to like a you went to like a a a medical website like it'd be even less efficient than WebMD. It'd, you know, one article is medically reviewed and it's like different types of cancer, and then you you go to up to another article that's written by someone who has no idea what the fuck they're talking about, and they're like, "Hey, orange juice causes cancer." New, possibly, maybe uh, we think. You know, it's just like, I don't know who visits these websites. I guess just very, like, in insecure people. Um, yeah, in the articles that uh, say they're medically reviewed, it says uh, medically reviewed. But uh, this uh, this highly sensitive person bullshit is not medically reviewed from what I can see. And, like, that's just... Psych Central does not review the content that appears in our blog network prior to publication. Maybe you should. Maybe peer review is good. Maybe that's why that's why that's how science works. Just a thought. Just some friendly advice for the amateurs over at Psych Central. Just just a little uh, just a little thought here.
But, um, you know, like, I'd never diagnose someone. At the most, I call people stupid idiots, but that's not a medical diagnosis. You can be a stupid idiot without having anything wrong with your brain. I think the main difference is that something like depression isn't a choice. It's caused by a chemical imbalance in your brain, whereas stupidity really is a choice. Ignorance is a decision that you make yourself by not learning about things. And uh, I think that's the main difference, that stupidity isn't a psychological condition. I feel qualified to talk on stupidity. I've talked to so many freaking idiots over the years. I'm practically an idiot expert at this point. I'm a... Ron, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a moron uh, expert in the field. But, um... I'd never say someone is bipolar or some shit if I'm not a psychiatrist. That's stupid. One time, if I recall, there was someone in the server who claimed to be an actual psychiatrist. They were full of shit. And they were giving me, like, armchair psychiatry without even speaking to me. Just like in... Just like typing out on their fucking keyboard warrior. Oh, you're so insecure, Nicholas, and I'm a psychiatrist. And like, sure, maybe you're a psychiatrist. You can't just give diagnoses out over Discord. You know, you can't give diagnoses unless you have an appointment with someone. That's the only thing you can actually trust. So, at the end of the day, I think this epidemic of mental illness fan shit is just, it's just. Bizarre. I don't know how society can keep functioning when, like, 99% of people are constantly operating under the assumption that something is fundamentally wrong with their thoughts or their brain is untrustworthy or something. Like, how little confidence do you have to have not to just, like, settle down and uh, trust what you're thinking? It's probably right, you know? It's stupid. I am sick of this fake psychiatry wave, and uh, I guess that's the big takeaway this week. It's 4.52, so no free comic this week. Seriously, tune in next week. If you're listening to this and you want to ask me some questions, I'm all too happy to answer them. Fascinating discussions here on the Q&A. And uh, if, you're, if, you, if, if you know someone who you think would be interested in... in uh, on here, I can send him an invite and uh, fascinating discussions every week here on the Nicholas Comics Q&A. Plus, free comics. Who doesn't want free comics? I don't know who doesn't want free comics. Uh, they say, they say do anything for a Klondike bar? Well, you can answer just one question and win a free flipping Nicholas Comics. So, that's a perk. If you're listening to this and you want, you want to participate, go ahead and uh, free comic and also if i get three orders before the end of december it's currently december 18th so only about 10 more days to send in those orders i'm going to be releasing my epic performance as donald trump from 2012 if i get three orders and it's 25 percent off anything so i practically like lose money but um that's that's the holiday sale i offer you know i i, I offer 25 percent off because Nicholas Comics make a great holiday gift, stocking stuff, or what have you. And, uh, yeah, uh, great discount. Best discount all year, the entire month of December. And uh, if I hope I get some orders here. If you're listening in, 
and you want to see my epic performance from 2012 as Donald Trump, then now's your chance. Get that envelope, get that stamp out, and send it to Nicholas Cicada, 1424 Columbine Street, number one, Denver, Colorado, 80206. You don't even need to send any money. Just send an envelope and ask for a catalog, and I'll count that as an order. Um, I, I, seriously, I will. If I just get an envelope from you, just an empty thing saying, hey, can I have a free catalog of all your comics? I'll take that as a win, and uh, that'll count as one of the three orders that uh, need to release this Donald Trump thing. But it's going to be fantastic, so you probably don't want to squander this opportunity. So right now I suggest getting out that envelope, sticking on that stamp, and writing Nicholas Cicada, 1424 Columbine Street, number one, Denver, Colorado, 80206. Uh, great comics, and you get the Donald Trump comic for free, if enough of you send in. Now, keep in mind, it can't be one person buying three comics. It has to be three people buying comics separate, because I, I think that's a reasonable goal. I, I think it can be achieved. Orders in one month, it, it, I don't think that's ever happened before, but I think it's possible. I, I have confidence in the Nicholas Comics fan base to... to uh, do something with you get rewarded you get to see me as Donald Trump it's 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 something i'm really embarrassed about cuz uh but i'm willing to i'm willing to laugh at myself you know cuz i'm not a i'm not a narcissist like a lot of people think so i'm willing to i'm willing to show the world my uh, embarrassing performance as Donald Trump from 2012 you get to have fun uh i i get to relive it and uh yeah, ought to be fascinating. That's going on all this month. And uh, next week's Q&A is going to be on Sunday instead of Saturday, because Saturday is Christmas. And uh, I just figure that holding it on day after Christmas is... More people will probably hop on to win that free comic. But uh, yeah, next week it's going to be Sunday from 3 to 5 Mountain Time instead of Saturday from 3 to 5 Mountain Time. So uh, mark your calendars accordingly. That said very interesting episode this week um i might read some more of these psych articles in the future that uh, my haters link to me because i just find it absolutely hilarious how little they apply to me and uh you know just like how how pissy some people will get over comics it's fascinating to me anyway uh it's 457 is there anything else uh yeah check out epileptic collectible obviously great songs on there fun track list and uh i have more albums coming out soon so keep an eye out for that i i i i'm i'm getting into some getting into some uh, mu music and whatnot and uh, as always divine tapestry is on the way it's gonna be such a dang good comic it's gonna be spectacular um I think I think it could replace College Buddies as, if not my best comic, my most well-remembered comic. Because, like, seriously, it has some cool stuff in it that I think you're really going to be into if you're into, like, Kafka or uh, stuff like that, you know, or um, psychological um, type stuff. Not pop psychological stuff, but just, like, you know, a, a psychological thriller kind of. Um, not pop, not pop psychological stuff. And I wouldn't be caught dead slipping highly sensitive person into my, uh, into my comics. But anyway, um, 
it's gonna be more like the game if you like like the game with Michael Douglas or uh, the Machinist with Christian Bale. You'll like the Divine Tapestry if you like surreal shit, like you know, like uh, the Presence Analyst or something like that. Then or like Three Women, Robert Altman. You'll like the Divine Tapestry. The Divine Tapestry is a dang fun comic. It a, it a, it covers a lot of themes, goes through a lot of boundaries, and uh, it's great so far. I can't wait to see where it ends up because I mean it's just been a ride. I'm creating this fantastic comic, so looking forward to that. It's 4:59, so I'm just gonna hop off here. Um, good, good, good stuff this week, and uh, the end of Moron Medicine's coming out December 31st, uh, right as the year ends, right as the year closes out. There's not gonna be any Nicholas Comics Rewind this year, or uh, from now on, really. I feel like I've kind of gotten past that to the point where my, uh, my career is so prolific and spectacular that I don't need to document every little bit. Also, there's been less memes this year, and that was a part of the Nicholas Comics Rewinds 2018 and 2019, so it's just going to be the last episode of More on Medicine on December 31st, and that's going to be the last thing this year, so looking forward to that. Uh, and that's going to do it for this week. See you next week on a Sunday. Do you want to be on the show? Join the Nicholas Comics Discord server today. I'll answer any questions you have. You can appear in the next episode. Do you want to buy Nicholas Comics? Write to Nicholas King, 1424 Columbine Street, number 1, Denver, Colorado, 80206. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on the next episode. Yeah.